I was uh, at a friend's house. Krista and I were uh, visiting not that long ago. And um, I noticed that they had in their living room, one of these posters. You've probably seen it. Maybe, uh, frankly, maybe you have one in your own house. But it was kind of like the, the family rules or the house rules. You ever seen these posters? Like this one, uh, it was, we were at the Murphy's house. It said Murphy family rules. And it basically says, you know, love unconditionally, um, say please and thank you. Um, what I don't even, don't hit. I don't know, I don't know what, I can't remember what it all said. But I stood there, we were, we were, you know, in their living room. I'm standing there reading this poster. And there's something about it that was really captivating to me. I was, I, I said to Chris afterwards, I said, we're, I thought that was a really cool idea. And in fact, they had gotten it made. And so it was sort of, it seemed anyway, that it was kind of customized for them. And I said, that's just a really, I just like that idea of, of having posted in their living room the kind of family that, that we're going to be. So I went on a little bit of a search uh, to find myself the sort of house rules poster that I would want to, you know, put up in our own living room to guide the development and growth of, of my family. And uh, I found a few that really spoke to my spirit. Let me show you one. It, it's, it says at the top, um, house rules. And this kind of captures pretty much everything that I say on a daily basis. If you sleep on it, make it up. If it rings, answer it. If you drop it, pick it up. If you spill it, wipe it up. If you wear it, hang it up. If you turn it on, turn it off. If it whines, feed it. If it cries, love it. It's sort of, uh, I heard somebody say once, you know, I never expected that I was going to end up following in my dad's footsteps. Oh, they said, none, none doing what he does for a living. I just mean walking around behind my kids, turning light switches off and begging them to stop fighting. That's sort of, this, this poster kind of captured, uh, like if we posted that, 90% of what I say around the home would be irrelevant. You know, it was just sort of caught me. I saw one actually when I was looking. This is sort of grandma and grandpa's house rules. It made perfect sense. Kitchen open 24 hours. Expect to be spoiled. Dessert comes first. No parents allowed. Laugh, giggle, snuggle. Sleepovers welcome. Storytelling. Play lots of games. Bedtime negotiable. Yes, it is. Actually, I found one um, that I, it kind of felt like somebody took a snapshot of my soul and wrote it out in a poster. This one I love. This is honestly this one I would love to post in my home. It says this. In this family, we talk in movie quotes. We take sarcasm to the edge. We live by the 10 second rule. We drink out of the carton, uh, but only if mom's not watching. We believe bacon and cookies to be the staples of life. We live for football season. We own our mistakes because we make them so often. We believe in the healing power of ice cream, and we tease hard and love harder. But, yep, that's mine. And then I found this one, and this one, that I'll put this one up on the screen. You need to see it to appreciate it. This one really is everything that I think house rules ought to be. It says, all the same garbage is always tell the truth and listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down at the bottom, cheer for the cowboys. You got it. Because I'm trying to grow my kids to be godly children and this, uh, that's why, you know why, you know, Texas Stadium opens to the sky, right? It's because God wants to watch his team too. So that's, but you know what? I kind of, I like the concept. What I love about, about this, the idea of house rules is this whole idea that we're going to be guided by a set of principles. 
that in this home, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the inner struggles that any of us are having, regardless of the way relationships are going, it doesn't matter what's happening around us. These are going to be the principles that guide us. These are going to be the anchor points that we're building our family on. This is the kind of family we're going to be. This, these sets of principles, this is going to be the compass that guides us no matter what. That's what I love. In effect, um, that's what this series, Anchored, is really all about. We could have, if we didn't call this series Anchored, we honestly could have called it House Rules. Because we're just describing the house rules of what it means to live a life of faith in this community. Right? The stuff that's never going to change and that's going to become the compass that guides us through life and faith no matter what. So we've talked in this series about house rules like this. Look for God everywhere. Because that's where God is. He's the creator of heaven and earth and he's inviting us in his creation to look for him and to reach for him and to seek him and to find him. Um, House rule number two, trust God in everything because that's what God is sovereign over. That we looked at the text, this is the God who made the whole world is the Lord of heaven and earth. He sits on the throne above everything. He's a ruler over everything, which doesn't mean that everything that happens in the world is what God wants it, but God is the one who sits and reigns over all of it. Um, we looked at house rules like embrace Jesus as the truth about God and the truth about you. The Jesus is God on earth as a flesh and blood human being showing us exactly what God is like and showing us exactly what we are like in the truest version of our humanity. We talked about house rules like Always live as though love wins, because it does. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, good has triumphed over evil, love has triumphed over hate. That at the end of the day, love wins in our life with God, and in our life with ourselves, in our life with each other, and in our life in the world. Always live as though love wins, because it does. Well, this morning we want to turn to our third anchor point uh, in this series, and And actually, uh, truth be told, our third anchor point begins in exactly the same space as the first two anchor points began. In Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is what we've said in each of these weeks. That the beginning of the story of God in relationship with us begins before the beginning. That standing behind the beginning of all things, the explosion of life in the created world, behind the beginning of everything, is the towering figure of God, the Father Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth. And then we said last week, out of uh, the biography of Jesus, written by his good friend John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that before the beginning of everything, in the eternity that lies behind all of creation, stands not only the towering figure of the creator, God the Father, but the towering figure of God the Son, the active agent of God accomplishing his purpose in the world. And then we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we discover that in the beginning, before the beginning, prior to the explosion of life in the created universe, is not only God the Father and God the Son, but God the spirit that the ultimate reality that lies behind everything is the one god who exists in three 
persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, who live together in self-sacrificing, loving community. That the origin of all that is, and the ultimate reality that lies behind everything, the most real thing in the entire universe is the divine life of self-sacrificing love as experienced in community. That's the most real thing in the universe. In the beginning was the Spirit of God, it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word hovering is an interesting word in Hebrew. It's the word that Hebrew writers would use to describe the action or the activity of a mother eagle hovering over her nest. Tending to her young, nurturing them, um, feeding them, nourishing them, protecting them from predators, catching them when they fall, lifting them and carrying them up into the sky and teaching them to fly um, in every single way, hovering over the nest in order to empower her young to become everything that they were created to be. And uh, the writer of Genesis says, from the beginning of the created universe, the spirit of God was hovering over creation in this way, hovering over all that is nurturing and tending and creating. Actually, the word spirit in Hebrew means to breathe, the breath of God. The spirit was hovering over creation, nurturing and tending and filling and breathing life into everything. The Spirit of God, according to Genesis chapter 1, is God's presence, his infinite presence, hovering over everything that is in this attentive, nurturing kind of way. The Spirit of God is how God is present to his creation. The presence of God is a, is a theme that's come up repeatedly in this series. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about thin places. And if you were here for that conversation, the, those, those spaces, those times, those experiences where we have, where, that we have where the, the curtain between heaven and earth, the, the veil between heavenly reality and earthly reality seems ultra thin, where the, the light of heaven seems to radiate into our experience and the presence of the creator, the transcendent presence of God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth seems like he is close and intimate. We talked about how to an ancient Jewish mind, the temple, the building where the Jews would go to worship in Jerusalem, uh, the temple was the thinnest place on all the earth. Um, the tabernacle before it, actually, the tabernacle was the portable worship facility that the Jews would have to set up and tear down when they were still a migrant people group. But in each case, it was the thinnest place on earth because it was the only place where you could go and stand in the presence of God. Bask in the, in the radiating glory of God, in the beauty of his goodness and love. This was where heaven and earth were the same place where God was present in his creation and then we talked last week about Jesus who was God who created the universe become a flesh and blood human being and John says that he he dwelled among us that he tented among us that Jesus became the new tabernacle the new place 
of worship. Jesus, when he was alive, was the place where humanity could go and stand in the presence of God and experience the radiance of God's glory, experience the beauty of God's goodness and love captured not in a building, not in architecture, but in a person, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But the temple in Jerusalem is gone and Jesus isn't with us anymore. How now do we experience the presence of God? Where do we go to find those thin places? In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle tells us, he says, In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In Christ, Paul is saying, the church, the community that gathers together in our common allegiance to Jesus Christ, our common faith in Jesus, it is in the community that gathers that becomes the new temple, the new place where God dwells by his spirit. That if you want to encounter, if you want to stand in the presence of God, if you want to expose yourself to his radiating glory, if you want to be in the presence of the beauty of God's goodness and love, be among the people of God who are gathered together in their common commitment to Jesus Christ. That's, that's with us here on Sunday mornings. That's in life group together during the week. That's with your friends around the dinner table. The scriptures say wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus says, I'm right there in their midst by the Spirit. Wherever people gather in common devotion, shared devotion to Jesus Christ, The Apostle Paul says what you have is a temple. You have a place where heaven and earth overlap. What you have is the presence of God abiding in the midst. That as we sit here this morning together, the Spirit of God lives among us in a way that God is not present in other places at other times. This now is the thinnest place on earth. A place to discover the presence of God. Of God, but not only in the community when it gathers. Actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul says something actually a little bit different. What he says is this He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? Paul says, Don't you know that if you are in Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you're living a life of full devotion to following in faith in the way of Jesus, that your very body has become a temple in which the Holy Spirit lives. God himself resides in your humanity. If you've put your faith in Jesus, there is not a place that you can go where the presence of God isn't hovering over you, abiding within you, tending and nurturing and breathing life into you as God's creation. You are a living, breathing temple of the Holy Spirit, a walking, uh, talking manifestation of the presence of God. Every human that you've met, 
is made in the image of God. Every human you've met who's put their faith in Christ is having that image come to realization as a manifestation of the presence of God in your midst. God's spirit is hovering over all of his creations, abiding in our midst, tending to and nurturing and breathing life into us. Which is better even, if you think about it, just better even than if we had actually gotten to know Jesus himself. I've had this thought periodically, had this conversation from time to time with people about how amazing it would have been to have known Jesus, right? To, to live with him, to listen to him teach, to watch the way he interacted with people, to see him work the miracles with your own eyes, just to get a, a flesh and blood sense of what God is like. Jesus himself, really struggling with this cord. Jesus himself says to his disciples, that's fine, but that's not the best. John chapter 16, he says this, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, you know what? It's better for you if I'm not here. It's better for you to have the spirit than to have me among you. How could that, what could possibly be better than living with Jesus? Well, Jesus says, listen, the reason, I think this is the point, the reason that it's better to have the spirit among us than to have Jesus himself is because in Jesus himself, God become a flesh and blood human being. The presence of God was limited to one place in one time and one space in one era of human history. The presence of God in that sense was limited to wherever the human being named Jesus was. But with the spirit, God's presence is unleashed to be everywhere that Christians are everywhere that communities gather together in the name of Jesus everywhere that you as a person of faith go you carry with you all of the power and the life that resided in the person of Jesus is now living in you you carry that with you everywhere you go which means which means that you have within you and among us the power to change. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit hovers over and dwells within creation to tend and nurture it, to help its creation and especially humanity become everything it was created to be. The Spirit resides among us to transform us. The Spirit does the work to change us. Which means that the Spirit, I mean, change is not an easy thing, right? You understand that, I think, from your own experience. Change is not something that comes very naturally to the human being. In fact, uh, I think it could be said that at some level, in order for us to experience change, and we all want to experience change, right? Can we just admit that? But none of us are the person that we really want to be, that none of us are exactly the version of ourselves that we'd like to be. None of us are the version of ourselves that God would want us to be in its entirety. All of us want to change. To, to experience that kind of change actually requires two things among us. Number one, you have to have the desire to change. You have to be motivated to change. You have to, you have to crave the change. And number two is you have to choose the change. You have to believe that you're able to change. Um, let me, I'll, just, I'll show you what I mean. I want to introduce you to my arch nemesis. 
I have a vision in my life about what it would look like for me to be the physically the healthiest version of myself that I could possibly be. And the vision that I have in my, my head of what it would be for me to be the healthiest version involves, you know, uh, in part, the way that I eat, right? The things that I consume, this, this ideal that I would consume only foods that are clean, foods that are maybe organic, foods that are healthy, as many vegetables as possible. I just want to choose my food wholesomely and healthily. I want to give my body what it needs and I want to restrict from my body what it doesn't need, right? There's this vision that, in, that involves at least in part how I eat and that involves in part how I behave, my level of activity, my physical fitness, my willingness to engage in exercise in order to uh, make myself as fit as humanly possible, right? That's the vision of being a healthy human being. This right here is the kryptonite to that vision, right? This right here is single-handedly responsible for every moment that I am not becoming this ideal vision of the person that I want to be because these right here have the power. This tiny blue M&M has the power to undermine every single physical fitness health goal that I have laid out for myself. This, sorry, this brown one I mean, has the power to undermine it, right? Because if I can't resist, if I continue to indulge, I'm going to undo everything about this vision for the humanity that I want to live. And the same is true spiritually. Because the way that I fail, and I fail colossally all the time, especially when they have peanuts in them, the way that I fail, I fail at two levels. There are times when I don't even want to resist the M&Ms. Right? I don't... I don't care enough about the vision of the person I want to become to, to resist the M&Ms. But there are other times when I really do, when I'm really actually eagerly and earnestly engaged in trying to live as healthily as I can. And, and it's not that I, that I don't have the will to resist the M&Ms. It's that I don't have the power to resist the M&Ms. I lack the will power. I have the will, but not the power. And the same is true of our experience spiritually. Right, that spiritually speaking, there's a vision of the kind of person that we want to become. We have this hope that, that, that God lays out this dream for us that we would become Jesus-shaped people, which to follow in the way of Jesus is only ever always to follow in the way of love, to love God with everything we have and love each other as much as we love ourselves. And then we as a community together love the world and everybody else in it and so on. This is the vision that God paints for us. And, and there are times in my life I've got to be honest, I don't even want to live that vision of, that God has for my life. Because I have, you know, M&M type behaviors that I would actually prefer in a, in a particular moment more than the life that God has for me. Whether that's anger, or maybe it's lust, could be greed, Whoop. apparently not greed. You know, whatever it is, I have eminent behaviors in my life. The stuff that I actually enjoy, but that's destructive to the process of me becoming the person that, that God has created me to be. And there are other times, actually, where I, I'm earnestly desiring to be the person God has created me to be. And actually what I discover is that though I have the will to resist those kinds of behaviors in my life, 
I don't have the power. I lack the willpower to exist, to, to resist those kinds of behaviors. And this is where the Bible is so hopeful. This is where the presence of the Spirit in our life is such a hope-giving thing. Because it says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, the Apostle Paul says, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, continue to work at becoming the person that God has created you to be. For it's God who works in you by his spirit, to will and to act according to, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Paul says that the reason you can press on to continue to strive towards becoming the person that God has created you to be is with the knowledge that God by his spirit resides in you and that the power of God is being unleashed within you to give you the will to resist the temptation, to give you the desire to follow in the way of Jesus and then to give you the power to follow through on your intentions to 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 get you to to want to become like Jesus or at the very least to want to want to become like Jesus and to give you the power to actually begin to live that out and not just for you as an individual but that's true of us as a community that's true of the all of us that says in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is present and alive and active in a community is that there's love in the community. That people sacrifice of themselves for the sake of somebody else. There's joy in the community. People celebrate the fact that they get to be family together because of their shared devotion to Jesus Christ. There's peace in the community. Relationships are reconciled and peaceable and people wish and, and work for the wholeness and well-being of each other. There's forbearance, which is the new way to say patience. But to us, the word patience means waiting for the microwave you know, to finish in 10 seconds um, or for something to download from the internet. Forbearance means, literally in the Greek, long-suffering. It means to put up with a lot from each other without responding in an inappropriate way. Instead, responding with the next word, which is kindness. It's a community of goodness, which is a, just a really general word by which it means that when people come into our midst, they just look around and say, this is a good place to be. These are good people to be with. It's a community of faithfulness, of this rabid loyalty in relationship to each other, a place of gentleness where we treat each other with love and respect and kid gloves in the way that we speak to each other. It's a place of self-control where people are, are on top of their own choices and the way that they, uh, to resist making choices that are destructive to themselves and each other and so on. The spirit resides among us, is the power of God present in our midst to help us individually and communally become everything that God has created us to be, but not for our own sake alone, right? The reason I have this vision for physical fitness, the, the kind of person that I want to be physically, is not for its own sake, right? It drives me nuts that the workout programs that Krista and I have done more recently are produced by a company called Beachbody. I don't want a Beachbody, that's a purely vain reason to strive for physical fitness. I, I want physical fitness because of what it allows me to do. Right? To live healthy for longer. It allows me to play with my kids the way that I want. It allows me to um, be competitive athletically in ways that I'd like. You know, whatever the case may be, it's not 
fitness for its own sake. It's fitness for a purpose. And the purpose for which God is renovating our lives is so that we can be um, empowered by God to impact each other's lives. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. That the Spirit, the Son, and the Father together distribute gifts and service and workings in the community. As Paul fleshes that out, what you discover that what he means is that within the community, the Spirit gives people gifts of speaking. But the Spirit, in the uniqueness and the difference of how he makes each one of us individually to be, to be different than anybody else in the community, to bring, we bring something different to the table. It's our uniqueness that becomes the gift that we bring to the rest of the community that comes from the Spirit and is used by God for, uh, in the lives of everybody else. Right, And so some of us, the uniqueness that we bring is the ability, the gift that we give to the community is, the, is the, what we bring by the way that we speak. That's what Paul means by gifts, the, by the words that we use. We have a way, some in the community have a way of speaking life and encouragement and hope and truth and accountability into the community in a way that changes people's lives. Some people, he used the word service, some people are a gift to the community just by the way they serve by their hospitality, by their generosity, by the way they, they do administrative stuff behind the scenes, just by the, the gifts of humble behind-the-scenes service that they give to the community. There are others who are a gift to the community. The word here is workings. What Paul means is miraculous workings. There are others who are a gift to the community because of the way they bring healing into people's lives. Physical healing through prayer or emotional healing or spiritual healing or mental healing, relational healing. They're just agents of God's healing in the community. This is, the Spirit is transforming us into, to resemble in greater and greater ways the person of Jesus so we can become in greater and greater ways the kinds of people who can become gifts to each other in the community. In fact, uh, Paul goes on in the next verse, he says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Each one of us, as we become a gift, we bring our uniqueness and our difference to the community and we give ourselves as a gift to each other, um, that, Paul says, is for the common good. That helps the, all of us become what God has created us to be. And you become, in that moment, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to the community. You become the presence of God to the community in the way that you are speaking life or the way in which you are serving, providing humble service or in the way in which you're bringing healing into the presence of people's lives so that all of us, so that through what God is doing through you, all of us are becoming more of what God has created us to be. This is what it means to anchor ourselves in the life of the Spirit. It is to live life in the power and the presence of God among us in a way that transforms not only our own lives, but transforms the lives of all those that God brings into contact with us. It's to live with this awareness that the Spirit is hovering over us and living among us at all times that we might become the people and the community 
uh, that God has created us to be for our sake and for the sake of the world. Regardless of where your life is, you can anchor yourself in that. That's what it means to be a part of us, to be a part of the community. That's, frankly, why we celebrate baptism as a community. Because baptism is in part about a person's commitment to Jesus and them saying, I want my life to be anchored in the person of Jesus. I want love to win in my life. But in part, baptism is about a person saying, I want to anchor myself in this community. I want to anchor myself in the manifestation of the Spirit that I discover here. I want to anchor myself in the ways in which the Spirit forms me and uses me to form others right here in this family over which he is hovering, in which he dwells, and into which he's invited me. And this morning across our locations, we're celebrating the baptism of four more people, four more folks who have said, that's what I want my life to be about, the spirit at work in me through a community like this because of Jesus. And I want you to hear their stories. Check, uh, check out these stories. <laughs> 